Welcome to another edition of the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. The private credit market's now multi-trillion dollar market. It's too big to ignore. Right now, banks are operating with far more reserves than they'll ever need. We may not get a economic recession. We might get a financial market recession. There had to be a better way. It's critically important what's happening with the jewelry market for gold. Unemployment is a record low. The timing is just perfect. My name's Stuart Foley. I'll be your host. We've got a great topic today. And just to start it off, in 2022, insurance company holdings in exchange-traded funds experienced a significant drop of over 23%, or $11 billion. That is the first drop of its kind since insurers began investing in ETFs in 2004. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Insurance companies and their use of ETFs. And we're joined by Ben Wollishan, who is the head of Aspider Insurance at SSGA. Ben, welcome. Thanks for being on. Pleasure, Stuart. Nice to be back. And we're joined by Raghu Ramachandran, who is the head of U.S. Insurance Asset Channel at S&P Dow Jones Indices. Raghu, the man that only needs one name known throughout the industry. (laughs) Welcome, man. How are you? Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great to be here. So for the four or five people in the insurance world that don't know you two, could you please give me just a little bit of background on each of you so that folks can recognize your voices and you'll know they'll know who's speaking when we're talking about what, what. So Ben, if you would start us off a little bit of background and we'll go to Raghu. Sure. So born and raised in Chicago, although I've been living on the East Coast for a number of years. Professional background, I've been in the industry for over 30 years, the last three of which have been at State Street Global Asset Management in the Spider unit, uh, working closely with U.S. insurance company general accounts. Previous to that, I was in another ETF issuer uh, in a similar role and have worked uh, both uh, within the four walls of insurance companies and uh, asset managers for the bulk of my career, both here in the U.S. and internationally as well. And Raghu, how about you? Hi, uh, Raghu Ramachandran, head of the Insurance Asset Channel and SP Dow Jones Indices. I grew up in Dallas. As my wife likes to say, I'm more cowboy than Indian. I don't know if she can say that. (laughs) (laughs) It'll make it through our compliance. (laughs) (laughs) So my background is I was a quant. I was even worse, I was a fixed income quant that I was a portfolio manager, worked at several insurance companies, ended up being CIO of a couple. And then I've been at SP Dow Jones for about seven, eight years. I've been writing this paper on ETFs and insurance accounts for about seven years. I've been SP a little longer than seven years. Let's see what else? I, I um, also wrote a paper on volatility management that is on two SOA exams. So for anyone who's listening has to take those and read my paper. Apologies ahead of time. Wow. And I swear to you, I think you're one of the best known guys in the industry. I don't know anybody <laughs> who doesn't know you by your, it's like share, like everybody knows you as Raghu and that's it. So we're thrilled to have you and you are well known for this paper. We've actually carried a version of the paper as well on our website, but you cover First of all, insurance companies have embraced ETFs without a doubt. There's a lot of good reasons to hold ETFs, but there's reasons why they went down in 2022, and I know you're going to cover that. So can you give us some highlights of your 2022 survey 
and kind of start us off from there? Okay. Yeah, certainly. So as you mentioned, uh, for the first time since insurance companies have been buying ETFs into their general account portfolio, there was a significant um, down um, drawdown. Part of it is valuations, right? So we had the worst bond market in a generation, pretty bad equity market also. So of the $11 billion, about $7 billion of that is just valuation. Markets are down, valuations are down, AUMs down. The other $4 billion is outflow, so insurance companies taking money out of it. But there's an interesting story there also in that of the $4 billion in outflows, three and a half of that are from two companies coming out of equities. And that was an asset allocation decision to allocate out of public equities. So they sold all public equities, including ETFs. So that has really nothing to do with the ETF-ness of it, if you will. Um, it just has to do the fact that they made an asset allocation decisions and, and ETFs, which is part of that. So, you know, about half a billion, 600 million of the flows were just people selling ETFs. And I think part of that probably has something to do with liquidity, and, and we'll get into that. But we've seen in the past, the 2020, for instance, when there's a market stress event, insurers, other people find liquidity in the ETF market faster than they do elsewhere in the market. So that had something to do with that. And in fact, the two mega companies that that sold out were PNC companies. If you look at all the other PNC companies, they actually added to equity ETF. So it's just, you know, big companies make a big move. And that's, that's what happens um, with that. And Ben, I guess what, there's there's some things about this that that interest me with regard to the the number of transactions versus the number of holdings, which gets me to the question of how are insurance companies using ETFs? Are they using them as strategic holdings? Or are they using them for placeholders? You know, I mean, the Spider Group is a leader in this space. You know it well. What can you tell us about how insurance companies are actually using ETFs? Yeah, so ETFs are, you know, I'll approach it from two angles, Stuart. One is, you know, there's a number of use cases for ETFs. One might be interim beta, you know, say an insurer wants to buy uh, high yield securities and they can't source a full allotment from their traditional broker dealer, they might use a high yield ETF for a short period of time, just so they're not sitting on cash. Of course, sort of parenthetically, cash isn't so bad right now, but historically it could have been used uh, for interim data. Another might be scale in subsidiary accounts. A lot of insurers have small subsidiaries in various domiciles and an ETF or a portfolio of ETFs can help create scale in a subsidiary account. So if the subsidiary account is subscale defined however the insurer wants to do that rather than having you know in some instances hundreds of line items the ETF or portfolio of ETFs can be you know 3 to 5 to 10 line items so it makes it much easier to manage the third is of course a core holding so we see many insurers using ETFs uh, as core holdings uh, whether that might be in the fixed income space from a hard to source type of security like an emerging market debt product, or it might be a way to express a view in terms of the S&P, for example. And on that note, I like to say in the ETF ecosystem, you can really, as an investor, uh, you can source 
product in, in really many vertical and horizontal slices of many different markets. So the ETF may be a means by which to express a view in a particular segment or asset class, or just an asset class in general, as I mentioned uh, before. That's really helpful. And Raghu, what would you like to add to Ben's comments? Yeah, I think Ben was getting at a point that I think is probably misunderstood. People think ETFs are passive investments. That's the vehicle itself. You can actually use ETFs actively. So as Ben was saying, you can take positions within that, you know, within a particular sector or a particular asset class. That's one use for it. I think one really interesting use for it is to do a risk barbell. So if you're a believer in active management and you say, okay, I'm going to be an active equity manager, obviously for an institutional investor, there are boundaries around that. So you have a risk budget that's allocated to that. What you can do is say you can take 60% of your equity allocation, put that in a passive investment like SPY, and then take the remainder, give it to your active manager, but then give them the entire risk budget. So they can actually really actively manage that without having these constraints. So, you know, there's two ways, like, so ETFs are passive, but they don't have to be used passive. That's interesting. And and while we're on this subject, when you think about insurance companies, ETF use, what's the split equity to fixed income? So about 60% of insurance assets are in fixed income, but it's the complete opposite in terms of ETFs. That is, most of the ETFs used by insurance companies are in equities. I think there's two reasons for that. One is the capital charge. So initially, all ETFs were treated as equity. So buying an equity versus an equity ETF is no difference. Didn't make sense to buy a bond ETF and get an equity capital charge to that. The NAIC changed those regulations. And then coincident with that, or or maybe driving that change, um, was the evolution of a fixed income ETF market. ETFs started in equity space. They're very well developed there. We've now seen a growth in the uh, fixed income ETF space. So there's actually stuff to buy and and people can use. And Ben, when you think about outside of SPY on ETF use, what else are insurance companies holding? Yeah, so what we see is, you know, it's obviously very similar to what Ragu mentioned in terms of equity usage. And it really just depends on the insurance company. One of the things that we see a lot of, and you know, even during equity market volatility, is deploying assets to sectors. And so, when you look at, at Ragu's paper, you'll you'll see some reference to this. And so, building on Ragu's point about using passive products to make active decisions, you know, the question comes in: How can a sector enhance your core holdings? And sectors, again, to Ragu's point are a very powerful portfolio construction tool. And as economic variables and business cycles impact segments of the economy, a sector-based investment strategies can help align and adjust portfolios based on macro, economic, or thematic trends, shifts in stock fundamentals, technical indicators such as momentum and the transparency of sector-based ETFs means that you can implement sophisticated strategies with very great precision, back to my point, about buying or investing in really any vertical or horizontal uh, slice of a market. So we're seeing more insurers utilizing ETFs and sector ETFs specifically as a way to express a view on particular sectors, just as examples, uh, insurance, 
So there's sector products that invest in insurance companies, financials, technology is a big one, as you'll see from the paper and uh, utilities. And one benefit, of course, that may be a characteristic of a sector ETF is yield, uh, especially utilities and financials. And then the last thing I'd really mention, second to last thing I'd mention is that, you know, we've done a lot of work on how to construct sector portfolios and just very high level, you know, there's four basic things to consider. One is top-down to analyze business cycles. Two is thematic, uh, which is uh, surveying macroeconomic data, bottom-up, which speaks for itself, and then technical. And then the other interesting thing is that there's nearly um, uh, half a trillion dollars uh, from the larger ETF sponsors in sector strategies. And they're very liquid exposures, which is something we spoke about on the last podcast, which really helps gain better execution. And then lastly, just outside of the, the sector space, we are seeing some momentum, not a factor, but just an investing trend into convertibles and preferreds as well. And then I would also mention to the earlier point about the NAIC, preferreds, although preferred stock, also several of them do have NAIC designations as well. So there's some decent capital treatment as a result of that. That's really helpful. So we've talked about 2022. Raghu, let's talk about 2023 year-to-date view on insurance company usage and kind of what you're seeing as we move forward here. Yeah. So we're unfortunately hobbled by the fact that there's a delay in reporting. So we just have first quarter numbers. Obviously, second quarter hasn't ended also. But so through the first quarter, we've still seen significant flows or it obviously varies because a lot of stuff happens in the fourth quarter. But through the first quarter, we saw $3 billion come out of insurance portfolio. And most of that, again, came out from equities. We saw the PNC companies took out another $1.7 billion out of equities. Life's almost none. I mean, it's like a couple of hundred million. And then on fixed income, we saw another billion and change come out. So companies are still selling. I think one aspect of that is is the liquidity of that. You see, you know, again, and when markets, uh, you know, March was pretty volatile. And, and when you have trouble with markets, about the only source you can go for liquidity. And actually, also the, about the only place you can go to get accurate pricing for bonds is, is the uh, ETF market. It's so interesting to me how, you know, the when you start talking about liquidity, and it it's a topic of conversation on more podcasts than not, right? How the ETF structure can actually assist on the liquidity side. Ben, when you look at it, 2023, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing? In particular, I think there's some, perhaps some regulations that you want to touch on as well. Yeah, and a couple things. One is, you know, just echoing what Regu mentioned and you just mentioned, Stuart, is um, there's definitely definitely an overweight to liquidity. You know, we had one client that uh, we were speaking to and, and basically the sentiment was, in quotes, we're getting paid to wait. And so we're moving, we're going to move towards shorter duration of vehicles on, on the fixed income side. Where we've seen uh, an interesting proliferation as a result is into treasury bill ETFs. That those have grown really rapidly. And so you know, again, clients, institutions, et cetera, are getting paid to wait. So the treasury bill products um, have gained uh, in prominence. With that said, we are seeing some investors that do want to add some risk across the board. 
And one interesting way to do that is to get some credit exposure uh, while maintaining a shorter duration profile in short duration high yield products. So we're seeing allocation into those types of products. The larger, more established ones in that space are highly liquid. They tend to have higher sharp ratio than traditional high yield strategies. And the category has uh, demonstrated outperformance in periods of rising rates as well. And then the last thing on the product side anyway, is given the inversion of the yield curve, uh, we're also seeing allocations into uh, one to three year corporate bond ETF exposures, which has been interesting. So that's also been been a popular spot for uh, insurance companies and other large institutional investors. In terms of use cases, during this period of time, we're actually seeing, I'll call it a proliferation of securities lending, which has been really interesting with certain asset classes, You know, especially when you see certain types of institutions that are expressing a view on the short side, someone has to be long. And so institutions uh, have been, insurance companies specifically, have been lending out shares of uh, where it's beneficial to them, uh, lending out shares of the ETFs that they hold on on their books. And then the other interesting thing that we're seeing are spread lending programs from sources such as the FHLB. On the regulatory side, a lot of our time is spent working with uh, various state regulators, talking to them about the efficacy of the ETF as an instrument, and regulators um, are very open to the conversation. I believe we discussed last time New York at the end of 2021 adopted bond-like treatment for fixed income ETFs, which clients were overjoyed at. We obviously were happy. The industry was happy with that as well. And then starting in July, uh, there was a bill signed in Iowa on April 28th, uh, which is effective July 1st for life insurance companies only, that defines SVO listed fixed income or preferred stock bonds as not an equity interest. And then we're working with various other states as well in that regard. And, you know, again, it's it's another tool. I think, as Raghu mentioned, it's just another tool for insurance companies to um, take advantage of in from a financial instrument perspective. And, and obviously, if the regulatory capital treatment is going to be favorable or comparable, I should say, to the equivalent fixed income, our clients have been pretty thrilled with that. Stuart, if I, if I could add one more bit of color to a, a point that Ben made on securities lending, right? So insurance companies have been lending equities for a long time. You can lend equity ETFs. One thing that's really great about fixed income ETFs is now you can lend fixed income. So if you take like J&K, a high yield, and then you lend it, so you're adding getting high yield, yield, plus income from the lending program. And there was no effective way to lend bonds until you got ETFs. That's a really very good point. And it just serves to bolster the the net investment income of insurance companies, right? Which is a, there's a win. If I was to editorialize here just a little bit, it seems to me that if we could get state regulators to give that look-through provision, it would potentially be helpful. It just seems to me that for a, a smaller insurance companies in particular would make a lot of sense for them to own the ETFs and get looked through, which would allow them to get a good execution and very efficient diversification. If I not putting you on the spot here necessarily, but do you agree generally with that that would be helpful? 
Yeah, I think you already you already see that, and I'll let Ben talk more about the regulatory part of it. But we already see that in the data, right? So we look at we break insurance companies by size, so small, medium, large, mega, and mega and large companies hold more ETFs, but that's just because they're bigger. But if you look at ETFs as a percentage of invested assets, it's inversely proportional to the size of the company. So the small companies actually hold more of their assets in ETFs as a percentage of invested assets than do larger companies. Ben? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, as a, a use case and a tool for the insurers, you know, they it's an educational process, uh, just like in, I, I wouldn't call ETFs new because they've been around for, for decades, but for many new institutional clients, including insurers, they're a new tool. So we have a high degree of receptivity across uh, the different um, segments within insurance. And then the other thing I'd mention, just to add on to that, is that we do see uh, a lot of OCIOs, for example, using ETFs as tools in, in their separately managed accounts as well. So you know, to the extent there's um, a smaller insurer that outsources most of their assets to a third party, within the uh, investment management agreement, they build in the ability to use ETFs as well. And sort of a side point, but related, is that even if an insurer is outsourcing a, a good percentage of their um, portfolio, we see many insurers still using ETFs to manage cash, to gain scale, and maybe a smaller subsidiary account that the OCIO is not managing, and other uses as well. So they might have a smaller investment department as a result of outsourcing, but that investment department, in other words, is still using ETFs as a tool. And from the, the podcast that you and I did with your colleague a few months back, the thing that I was kind of struck with is that if I'm a CIO and I don't know, you know, maybe I don't know as much about ETFs as I should or as I want to, right? So your colleague actually will go in and help somebody design a program to put on a particular position, right? I mean, it's not like somebody's just completely on their own. If they need some advice about how to get something done, you have resources to help folks, right? We do. And so we have a, a robust capital markets team. Most of them have sell-side experience, so they know, uh, they know what's happening across the street, so to speak. And basically, our role as an ETF issuer is to sit in between the street and the actual buyer. Our interest is to see that the client gets best execution and has a good experience using the tool. And so we'll, we do uh, pre-trade analytics. So if a client is looking to put on a position in a particular product, we can do some analytics and you know perhaps see, uh, see who is axed on the street for that particular ticker symbol, uh, spider ticker symbol, of course, or, or uh, just uh, generally get a give a view on um, what's happening on the street with that particular uh, ticker symbol. The other thing we do, and I, I realize not everyone has access to Bloomberg, but you know we probably in the insurance channel have uh, 30 open chats on Bloomberg. So if a client is looking to execute something, they can just throw their question in a chat and then um, you know, we'll, we'll get back to them with speed and alacrity. That's great. So we're getting kind of down to the, the end of the podcast here. So Raghu, what would you want our audience to take away as you look forward here from where we sit today with 
insurance companies and ETFs? Yeah, you know, in, in talking to insurance companies about one thing that I think isn't particularly clear is ETFs are not a new instrument. It's just a tool to allow you to do whatever expression you want to do, right? If you want to buy high yield, it's a tool to buy high yield. You're not buying something different. I think, in, in especially a couple of years ago when we first started doing this, people were thinking, oh, it's like a CDO and it's some sort of structured vehicle that you know could blow up and I have to worry about risk. ETFs are about as transparent as you can get. It's a question of you have a new widget, you know, you're going from a handheld screwdriver to an electric screwdriver. It's just a new tool. It, you're not buying anything different when you're buying an ETF. You're buying exactly what you were buying before. It's just a new tool that allows you to manage portfolios better. Thank you. Ben? Yeah, I mean, on that note, we're, um, you know, from a portfolio management perspective, the tool is there to enhance the portfolio manager's experience. And so, you know, to the extent uh, the portfolio manager's job is security selection, the ETF really helps them do that better. And the industry in general, and our firm in, in particular, you know, we're here to educate and help, as I mentioned in my last set of comments, understand the tool better, what the use cases are, uh, help on the regulatory front, and, and then also uh, educate on the various exposures. We also do believe very much in client-driven innovation, um, which sounds a bit like a set of buzzwords. But what I mean by that is that if someone's if a portfolio manager, CIO, et cetera, is touching money, we learn a lot from our clients as well. So we like to take the feedback, understand what clients are looking for, and uh, that way we can enhance the experience uh, both from a, a trading perspective also from a product development perspective as well. So we, we really do view ourselves as, as partners and stand ready to help wherever possible. That's fantastic. Okay, real quick, before we go, Raghu, who would you most like to have lunch with, alive or dead? Um, Shakespeare. Wow, there you go. I heard somebody say not long ago that there's still a book a day written on Shakespeare. Isn't that crazy? How about you, Ben? Um, that's a good question. So alive or dead, I think Barack Obama, actually. Wow. There you go. Very good. Good choices. Thanks for being on Ben Wollishan, who is the head of Spider Insurance and Raghu Ramachandran, head of insurance asset channel at S&P Dow Jones Indices. Guys, thanks for being on. Thank you. Thank you. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks for listening. If you like us, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. My name is Stuart Foley, and this is the insuranceaum.com podcast. Mm-hmm.